Uh, I'm Kamal Hussain, and I will be speaking on international law and sustainable development. International law provides a normative framework for pursuing the goal of sustainable development. This role has been perceptively described in his course at the Hague Academy of International Law in 2007 by Professor Nico Shriver. He writes, and I quote, Our particular mission in this course was to explore the efforts to achieve a balanced and comprehensive state of international law in the field of sustainable development as called for in the Rio Declaration and in Agenda 21. We have sketched the contours of an emerging international law of sustainable development. Some of its cornerstones have a firmly established status. Others are just emerging. International law has a role to play, both as a value system, consolidating an integrated approach to environment and development, and as a concrete regulatory framework for cooperation between and action by all relevant actors and the monitoring thereof. The UN Conference on the Human Environment held in Stockholm in 1972 had adopted a declaration which had significantly raised awareness of environmental issues. Its seminal role has been assessed thus. I quote, notwithstanding its non-binding character, the Stockholm Declaration is generally regarded as the foundation of modern international environmental law. Despite its ambiguities, this declaration eventually acquired not only moral and political value, but some of the principles laid down in it are now considered as part and parcel of general international law and as binding on governments independent of their specific consent. In particular, Principle 21 has evolved into hard law the Stockholm Declaration has served as a basis for the subsequent development of international environment law in the form of numerous bilateral and multilateral conventions and other legally binding instruments. The initial linkage of development and environment in international legal discourse is generally attributed to the Stockholm Declaration, which was endorsed by the United Nations General Assembly that declaration had recognized that, I quote, both aspects of man's environment, the natural and the man-made, are essential to his well-being and to the enjoyment of basic human rights, even the right to life itself. The efforts of developing countries to secure recognition of development as a right, with correlative legal duties and responsibilities, had led to the United Nations Declaration on the Right of Right to Development, 4th of December 1986. The declaration focused on the human person as the central subject of development. It sought to base the international obligation both of states and of the international community to promote development on the universal recognition accorded, accorded to the basic human rights of all persons. It also identified important elements which ought to be embraced by the concept of development. Equality of opportunity for all in their access to basic resources, education, health services, food, housing, employment, and fair distribution of income, ensuring an active role for women in the development process and adoption of economic and social reforms to remove social injustices as also encouragement of popular participation in all spheres relating to development. 
the linkage between natural and man-made environment was restated in the Declaration on the Right to Development, which reaffirmed the responsibility of the international community and of states for sustained action to promote more rapid development of developing countries. It was asserted that as a complement to the efforts of developing countries, effective international cooperation is essential in providing these countries with appropriate means and facilities to foster their comprehensive development. The con concept of development was elucidated in the following terms, I quote, development is a comprehensive economic, social, cultural, and political process which aims at the constant improvement and the well-being of the entire population and of all individuals on the basis of the active, free, and meaningful participation in development and in the fair distribution of benefits resulting therefrom. Development was thus viewed as centering around the human person and the international obligation to promote development as being derived from the obligation to respect universally recognized human rights. The interrelatedness of development and human rights was emphasized thus. All rights and fundamental freedoms are indivisible and inter interdependent, and that states shall take steps to eliminate obstacles to development resulting from failure to observe civil and political rights as well as economic, social, and cultural rights. The United Nations took a major initiative in response to growing concerns regarding environment and development by the establishment pursuant to United Nations General Assembly Resolution of a World Commission on Environment and Development, chaired by Mrs. Brundtland, the Prime Minister of Norway. This commission came to be known as the Brundtland Commission. The Brundtland Report, entitled Our Common Future, published in 1987, underscored the linkage between development and environment and called for the adoption globally of a strategy of sustainable development, which was defined as, I quote, development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. The report not only reaffirmed the basic premise of the UN Declaration on the Right to Development, that the human person is central subject of development, but gave a new salience to the issues of equity, and in particular, intergenerational equity. The Brundtland Commission urged the drawing up of a universal declaration and later a convention on environmental protection and sustainable development. The expert group on environmental law set up by the commission with a mandate to formulate legal principles to support environmental protection and sustainable development presented a consolidated report setting out its formulation in 22 articles under the title Legal Principles for Environmental Protection and Sustainable Development. The Brundtland Report focused on the critical link between development and environment and spelt out the elements of the concept of sustainable development thus. A. The concept of sustainable development does imply limits on growth imposed by the present state of technology and social organization and environmental resources and by the ability of the biosphere to absorb the effect of human activities. B, sustainable development requires meeting the basic needs of all and extending to all the opportunity to fulfill their aspirations for a better life. C, 
Meeting essential needs requires greater economic growth in nations in which the majority are poor and an assurance that they get the resources required to attain that growth. D. Such equity would be aided by political systems that secure effective citizens' participation in decision-making and by greater democracy and in international decision-making. E. Sustainable development requires that those who are more affluent adopt lifestyles within the planet's ecological means. The Club of Rome describes a sustainable society not only in terms of physical sustainability, but in terms of one based on social justice. As described by the Club of Rome, I quote, a sustainable society implicitly connotes one that is based on a long-term vision in which it must foresee the consequences of its diverse activities to ensure that they do not break the cycles of renewal. It has to be a society of conservation and generational concern. It must avoid the adoption of mutually irreconcilable objectives. Equally, it must be a society of social justice because great disparities of wealth or privilege will breed destructive disharmony. Now I'd like to say a few words about the Rio Declaration, which provided the basis for an evolving framework of international legal norms on sustainable development. The Declaration of the United Nations Conference on Environment and Development, held in Rio de Janeiro in June 1992, and since has become well known as the Rio Declaration, enunciated 27 principles, proclaiming as its objective the establishment of a new and equitable global partnership through the creation of new levels of cooperation among states and key actors of societies and peoples. It was envisaged that this partnership would work towards international agreements which respect the interest of all and protect the integrity of the global environment and the development system, developmental system. The Declaration recognized the integral and interdependent nature of the Earth, which is described as our home, and enunciated as the first principle, human beings are at the center of concerns for sustainable development. They are entitled to a healthy and productive life in harmony with nature. Adopted with the Declaration was Agenda 21, an 800-page document embodying guidelines for future national and international action in the field of environment and development. The concept of sustainable development thus reflects a number of core values and normative prescriptions which had earlier been embodied in the Declaration on the Right to Development Satisfaction of human needs, present and future, are made the basic objectives of development. Global disparities call for application of equitable principles to ensure meeting the basic needs of all. A global strategy for promoting growth is urged which would adopt an integrated approach, recognizing the linkages between natural resources, financial resources, technology, and the operation of institutions at the national and international level. The new and emerging international law on sustainable development thus comprises not only of the rule of law, which were hitherto understood to constitute international environmental law, but must also integrate with it elements of what hitherto had been described as international development law. Chapter 39 of Agenda 21 provides that 
Further development of international law and sustainable development will have to pay special attention to the delicate balance between environment and development concerns and calls for effective participation by all countries concerned in reviewing both the past performance and effectiveness of existing international instruments and institutions as well as priorities for future lawmaking on sustainable development. This may include in the language of Chapter 39 of Agenda 21, an examination of the feasibility of elaborating general rights and obligations of states as appropriate in the field of sustainable development. The provocative club of Rome's report, entitled The Limits to, of growth, Limits to Growth in the 70s, merits revisiting. The central themes of that report were that continued exponential growth of population and consumption in a finite world would eventually result, result in the global crisis of mass starvation. A recent study in its concluding chapter states, and I quote from that study, 30 years on, the timing of the Club of Rome's overall prediction looks ominously on track. The world's population heads towards 9 billion by the middle of the century. Climate change will worsen the food crisis as rising temperatures destroy the glaciers that feed the world's great rivers and suppress photosynthesis in the principal crops, harvests slump dramatically around the world simply as a result of the heat wave of 2006. Some of the world's most productive agricultural land is likely to be inundated by rising sea levels, cutting output and creating tens of millions of refugees. The oil peak will probably worsen both climate change and the food crisis. Dwindling oil supplies will encourage the maximum exploitation of coal and oil sands, generating far more CO2 than conventional crude, although the additional liquids will fail to supply, will fill, to fill the supply gaps. As that gap widens, yet more food crops will be diverted into fuel production, putting the gas tanks of the rich in direct competition with the stomachs of the poor. Finally, fuel shortage will threaten agricultural output directly. Since every calorie of food you consume takes 10 calories of fossil fuel to produce. It is important to underline the responsibility of individuals and states to meet this challenge and the role that international law must play. After reviewing the economic developments which culminated in the recession of 2008, the Nobel laureate Professor Stiglitz observes that the first decade of the 21st century has to be written down as a lost decade. He urges, however, that there is still a window of opportunity which may be rapidly closing for an alternative course to be charted. This would include not only effective regulatory reforms but the creation of a new vision, quote, one based on global social justice and a balanced role for the government and the market. Responsibility of individuals and states based on their duty to respect human rights and to be mindful of ecological and environmental concerns calls for a normative framework for sustainable development which would regulate economic, social and political processes. The principles for the building of such a framework were enunciated by the International Law Association 
in the New Delhi Declaration of Principles of International Law relating to sustainable development. The preamble of it states, the objective of sustainable development involves a comprehensive and integrated approach to economic, social, and political processes, which aims at the sustainable use of natural resources of the earth and the protection of the environment on which nature and human life, as well as social and economic development, depend, and which seeks to realize the right of all human beings to an adequate living standard on the basis of their active, free, and meaningful participation in development and in the fair distribution of benefits therefrom, with due regard to the needs and interests of future generations. The International Law Association's declaration adopted in 2002, which was circulated in the Johannesburg World Summit, enunciated the following seven principles. One, the duty of states to ensure sustainable use of natural resources. Two, the principle of equity in the eradication of poverty. Three, the principle of common but differentiated responsibilities. Four, the precautionary principle and environmental impact assessment. Five, public participation. Six, the principle of good governance. Seven, the principle of integration and interrelationship. The legal framework of the new global scaffolding which emerged following Rio is comprised of three framework conventions, the United Nations Framework on Climate Change, the Convention on Biological Diversity, and the United Nations Convention to Combat Desertification to deal with the threats to dry lands. To implement the framework conventions, there is need for detailed arrangements to be agreed between parties or groups of parties. Just as the Convention on the Protection from Ozone Depletion in 1985 had been followed by the Montreal Protocol in 1987, there is now a need for new global agreements on climate change as the Kyoto Protocol expires in 2012. Implementation of international legal obligations at the national levels calls for national legislation and for effective enforcement of such legislation. In conclusion, the realization of the goal of sustainable development calls for devising and strengthening regulatory regimes and rules and their effective implementation. This will continue to present a challenge to legal creativity. The current challenges include those of climate change, the global energy crisis, the increasing demands for water resources to meet the needs of agricultural growth, the destruction of biodiversity, and pollution caused through emission of toxic gases. This continues to call for strategies and policies at the international and national level in order to avoid the crises which are likely to result if effective responses are not devised and implemented to meet these challenges. This calls for more active participation of citizens from all over the world, not just experts, but citizens who will be affected, whose children will be affected if these crises are not averted in developed and developing countries so that enlightened consensus and meaningful cooperation can be achieved. This would create conditions in which the existing global institutions must be called upon to be innovative and to move away 
from the past in which policies and strategies tended to be influenced by special interests, which proved in the end to obstruct global growth and stability. Lessons learned from what Professor Stiglitz describes as a free fall, the title of his book, is that true global cooperation is needed based on a reorientation of national policies so that a balance can be struck between competing human needs and the scarce resources available to meet the legitimate needs of all the world's peoples. This is a shared common interest which peoples of the world from developed and developing countries and nations large and small must strive together to realize. International law must contribute to the realization of this shared global goal.